Hello and welcome to Critical Line Item. My name's Tom Rabbit. Thank you for joining me for the podcast. COVID-19 has caused a great amount of economic um, hardship across the board, uh, here in Australia and overseas. One of the areas that is constantly controversial, but is more controversial in times when there's a financial squeeze, is when scammers start to get active. Now, the other day I spoke to Warren Day, the Senior Executive Leader, from the Australian Securities and Investments Commission who has dealt with scamming for many, many years. Our corporate regulator is continuously monitoring that. And I pick up the conversation with Warren uh, when he starts talking about the issues that he's seeing that are emerging and that have emerged over the past six months since COVID-19 has been active. I mean, look, scams and scam behaviour and scammers is an all-time problem. Yeah, it's a forever problem. Um, it's been there for a long, long time and it's going to be here for a long, long time to come. But in a pandemic situation such as this, um, it presents a really unique opportunity for scammers. Um, and certainly, say, if you take an Australian context, Australian economic context, it's a, it's a fantastic environment for a scam, a scammer, financial scammer to operate in. You've got low interest rate returns. Um, you've got people worried about their, you know, retirement savings and superannuation um, balances. Uh, you've got people who are isolated um, because of, you know, lockdown orders or stay-at-home um, orders within, you know, states and territories. Um, you've got people who um, some are, you know, they're, they're in financial, other financial distress because of lease payments, those types of things. So you've got people who are suddenly then motivated to look and they've got time on their hands and, a, and an internet that's willing to, you know, uh, provide, put, put scammers at your doorstep. So, you know, you've got this unique time right now, and it's worldwide, it's a worldwide thing, but Australia, you know, if we look at it from an Australian context, um, you know, it, it's a unique time for scammers to operate. So what we're seeing is um, the oldies and goodies. You know, we're, we're seeing all the sorts of cold calling scams where people are just being contacted by email, by telephone, um, and you know, basically saying we've got these opportunities in these other jurisdictions where the you know the, the stock market's you know supposedly hot and those types of things, but we're actually starting to see some sort of slight, uh, I guess you'd say, I nearly say innovations, but it's sort of like scams with a twist. And the perfect example at the moment is where well, there's always been romance scams, and you know, a lot of the population will be aware of a, a sort of romance scam where um, someone thinks that they're sort of conducting a long distance relationship with somebody or somebody in you know another another city turns out that it's fake and that you've been duped to sort of give them money what we're seeing now is because people are isolated and they're looking for relationships and um, you know intimacy with other people albeit through an electronic platform people are um, you know striking up relationships striking up conversations with with others who they don't know much about them but they fall into the mindset that they're dealing with someone who's real um, and legitimate and honest. And the next thing, you know, that that other person is, you know, convincing them they should get involved in a cryptocurrency or they should get involved in certain, you know, um, trading platforms and things like that and not to, you know, want to be rude, the people are doing that. So, you know, because of that isolation and loneliness that a lot of people are suffering because of lockdown orders and stay at home because of COVID, because of the pandemic, Scammers are utilising that to their advantage and then pushing people to, you know, what would be seen as traditional, you know, type, you know, online scam. So you're seeing that type of, of change. And the other thing you're seeing is people actually becoming aware that they're scammed. Often 
people might take months, you know, sometimes years, unfortunately, to work out they've been scammed and they just continue to give money. But in, in, in times like this when money's, you know, tough, you know, and, and people are um, a little bit more, um, you know, needy to keep the money around them, when they think they've invested in some type of financial investment, they start to then go, okay, well, that's gone well enough, I'll call my money in. And then suddenly they find out they've been scammed. Whereas in a different time, if they feel a lot more confident, they might be prepared to, you know, be in a position where they'll just say, oh, well, I'm making money, even though they're not because they're being scammed. They'll just let that run for a bit. But now, because of the nature of things being tenuous, people are calling those in. And as a result, you know, we've seen an increase by something like 20% in the scams being reported to us. And I think the ACCC are seeing a similar number. Uh, In looking at scams over the past uh, couple of decades, one of the things I've noticed, and you've pointed to that in your response, um, is that things have tended to be variations on themes. Um, There are very few scams that are actually overly new. Um, Mm. They just didn't. There's a fresh coat of paint daubed on them. Um, yeah, they're they're very much old wine in new bottles. You know, there's there's nothing new in the scam universe. There's just a new way to present it. You know, so yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying on that point, Tom. Because you know, we didn't have COVID nineteen before. We have COVID nineteen, and then you've got the the websites that are um, blogging sanitizer or whatever and people find that they've paid their money but there's nothing coming mm. and there's no recourse or it's um uh or there's some health type other scenario in relation to to medication and other things where people get duped because they're they're worried about COVID and they get uh that whole Thing about um, that whole thing about the uh, yeah the finding a cure, which nobody's anywhere near. At the moment. Yeah, or look, uh, you know, one one of the other types of things you might see is things like where there might be a social media post that says, you know, this is a group that's trying to work on a cure. Um, we may be interested in the future in you know investors, you know, um, to help commercialise that. Um, you know, sign here. And the next thing you know, you're on a scammer's database, which, you know, you just thought was you'd found an opportunity in the market, you know, at some point later and suddenly you're giving details away. And the next thing, that, that contact detail of yours then starts to do a round robin through a whole range of scammers' hands and you're suddenly receiving all sorts of emails and all sorts of offers. And, in fact, depending on how much details you've given, all sorts of contacts through the telephone and otherwise. And, you know, so, again, it's a time when people need to be a bit careful about what they're doing with their own information and their own data and who they're giving it to. And that, that's a major risk with the online environment uh, anyway. The, uh, I, I guess if we look at um, the superannuation space, which appears to have been uh, a bit active, um, how much of that does ASIC look after? Because there's the early release superannuation uh, scenarios have have seen a bit, bit of the bit of scamming activity. Is there anything that crosses into ASIC's part, or is that mainly 
It was it mainly the ATO and uh, and the AFP. Look, we're the. I mean, in the, in the superannuation space, we're effectively the financial advice regulator. Um, although we have, you know, some conduct of, you know, by by superannuation entities, um, you know, jurisdiction as well. But yeah, you know, in terms of the, the 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 funds themselves, how they're invested, how they're uh, maintained, monitored, kept safe. I mean, that's an APRA thing. In relation to movement of super, access to super, self-managed super funds, that's the ATOs thing. So, you know, in, in, in terms of things that happen in relation to scams, there's been some reports, you know, in the newspaper about those things that the ATO have been talking about, uh, the ATO have seen. Um, that's really things they deal with. Um, but again, you know, one of the things we're concerned about is where we see people um, going online and saying, we can help you get more super. You know, we can talk to you about those things and what type of advice they're giving. And often what we what we suspect is the case that the people saying we can help you are actually scammers. And so what they're doing is basically saying we can advise you and then, you know, try to interpose themselves. But we haven't seen a lot of that. And again, a lot of that's dealt with by the ATO. That, uh, the, that kind of activity is not novel uh, in any case, is it? Because No. No. Because it creeps into your space when they start to, when scammers start to talk about uh, financial advice, mm-hmm. uh, new stocks, uh, and similar similar types of things where they're not appropriately registered to deal with the deal with the advisory side of that conversation. No, that's right. I mean, look, you know, the the, the people who operate these scams and you know. What we've seen in the past and through work we've done with the um, the AFP and other law enforcement agencies a few years ago, there was a big piece of work done with the then Australian Crime Commission in 2012 looking at a number of these scams. I think they put a report out at the time. And, you know, it, it, it showed some real hallmarks of the operators of these scams. You know, they're, they're small groups of predominantly men, um, often from, you know, a, a range of um, nationalities. Um, and they're highly mobile, they're highly organised, um, they're highly motivated, clearly, um, they're well-practised, um, they've got, you know, a, a real business plan and a, a business model that, you know, that they carry out. These are people who see it as their business to take money from people. Um, you know, they've drafted scripts, they've got backstories, they draft websites, they draft fake regulator websites, they draft, you know, fake review websites. They, they create a whole ecosystem and universe to uh, make it look to a, a, a simple, you know, inquirer or simple observer that this is a, this is a real outfit. Um, but what people often miss is the fact that if, if someone's advising you to invest money or advising you how to invest your money or how to access money in Australia, it doesn't matter where they're located in the world, whether Australia or otherwise, they actually need a licence in Australia from the Australian Securities Investments Commission, from my organisation, to do that. Um, you know, as a generalisation, I mean, there's some, there's a couple of, you know, dicky touchwood technical, you know, issues on that. But the, the rule, the general rule is that if, you know, someone's trying to give you advice to invest money or access money or access your money, they they need a license from us. Um, so, you know, we see these highly organised groups um, who who take this as their opportunity. And, you know, again, they see the current circumstances as, as, as an opportunity too good to be true for them. You know, they, they, they've never had it so good uh, because of all of those reasons I mentioned before, because of the, 
the circumstance they find themselves in. So, you know, they are out profiting in the tens to hundreds of millions of dollars across across this country and across a number of other countries. What we know is when we catch up with them, when we um, identify them, and we won't find them because they're not operating here, they're not operating within Australia, but, you know, 99 times out of 100, they're located somewhere overseas, hiding behind a couple of sort of, you know, internet sites and a couple of, you know, telephone relay stations um, through the internet, through voice over internet. Um, the minute we identify a scam and we, we, we identify those scams and publish them on our website um, and through the Money Smart website, they disappear. You know, they'll pack up, you know, they, these guys operate out of a couple of laptops and, and a couple of bags and they're gone, you know, and they'll go and enjoy the money that they've taken um, and most likely sit on a beach, you know, for a month. And then they'll just change the names, dates, places on all of their documentation and their fake websites and those types of things, and they'll start up again. Uh, this is an area where I think, if I remember rightly, Warren, and uh, you also probably know more, more about this, this, this is the kind of thing that Interpol ends up getting involved in because there have been cases in Europe where businesses have had... Um, um, uh, the business email compromise scams. Mm. The business yep. owners haven't known where they've come from. Things have been traced to a little country uh, uh, somewhere in Africa. Yeah. Um, and all of that's needed international you know, policing resources to actually get at those individuals that have caused the problem. Yeah, and I mean, you're, 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 you're dead right, Tom. I mean, it, it takes a lot of effort to identify potentially where the operators are located, let alone then try to do something about it. And what you've got is victims, you know, victims in one country, let's say Australia, operators in, a, in another country, and they may not even be citizens of that country. So, um, you know, the, the, there's been a number of circumstances where they've identified, say, um, people running these types of scams are operating out of Southeast Asia, but none of them are actually um, residents or citizens of those countries where they're operating from. They're actually probably European, you know, and they've just flown into the country. They've rented a place for cash. Um, they've set up a whole lot of phone lines um, and they're away. Um, and infrequently, you know, when suddenly, you know, one of these gets identified and the local police then, are, you know, are able to do something... They're seen more as immigration offences rather than, quite frankly, the, the the theft and real crime that they are in the in the jurisdiction where the, the victims are. So, yeah, you, know, you then need a huge effort in you know international law enforcement coordination, Interpol and other you know such bodies, um, and agreements between um, international regulators or regulators across the planet play a big part in trying to do that. But again. The, the, the resource requirement to support that is huge. Um, and the other thing is the money's gone. The thing, we, the thing we've really learned, that I've referred back to a piece of work that was done by the then Crime Commission and the AFP um, with support by a number of agencies, including us and state police forces back in 2012, um, pointed to the fact that when you, if a person here moves their money through, say, a credit card payment or through a bank account transfer or a, you know, um, money transfer service, 
the account that it goes to might be, say, in Hong Kong or Singapore, jurisdictions which for Australians we actually think as um, very sound, highly regulated, not dissimilar to us type jurisdictions. And, and all of those things are true. But what we also see is the minute the money hits those bank accounts, they have moved on again to another bank account within minutes, if not seconds. So they're clearing those accounts because of electronic access now in, in, in seconds, and they've moved to another account. And let's say that account may be in a jurisdiction that doesn't have all the bells and whistles and regulatory um, you know, trappings that we do in Australia, such as Austrack and APRA, um, those types of things. Um, and so that, let's say that, you know, that might be in the Middle East somewhere, that might be out in one of the stand countries, you know, like, a, you know, Afghanistan or other places like that. And, and then it moves again. And so the chance of actually finding where that money is and actually being able to hold onto it is, is nigh on impossible. And, and this shows that what we're dealing with here is organized crime. You know, these, these are, these are outfits and effectively organizations of like-minded individuals who have set up a purpose as a business to effectively defraud people, you know, um, completely and do it in a way that utilises international boundaries, you know, the latest technology, but also simple scamming techniques that makes it, again, nigh on impossible for law, law enforcement agencies to um, combat it in a, in a traditional way without huge resource deployments being required. You know, it, it becomes a very difficult proposition. Well, to, to, a, to a degree, you can track uh, you can track it, track the transactions, but at some point it becomes a dead end. Yeah. Uh, oh, and you've also and you've also got the problem about if you know a scam's going on and you can see the account and it's being used, and let's say we're we're tipped off about it by by a victim. To actually try and then catch the people, you're virtually resigning yourself to the fact that more victims will be defrauded for a period of time while you try and get your ducks in a row and your contacts in place with the, with the regulator and the police force in the other jurisdiction so that they can nab them in circumstances where you know those victims will never get their money back. So, as a, you know, from a law enforcement perspective, you've got this really difficult um, issue to weigh up, do you let someone continue um, to perpetrate that crime and therefore people will become victims and lose their money in circumstances where you, you're you pretty sure they're never going to get it back or do you actually cut it there realising that you're probably never going to be able to catch up with the people? It's a really difficult you know, conundrum for law enforcement to deal with. I guess what the listeners to this will need to be aware of is uh, we're, we're really talking about a um, a very contemporary mode of money laundering here. Um, back in the old back in back in the old days, you know, it would have been um, a, a very different kind of environment because you were dealing with physical notes. You were dealing with yeah. new checks. You were dealing with hard copy share certificates. Yeah. Um, you were dealing with all those offences that made up my read that make up my reading of sixties you know, and seventies organised crime in New York, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, 
now you've got to deal with the electronic trail. And, it, it, and I mean, how often have you come across a situation where they're using, potentially using virtual uh, personal private networks, VPNs, to mask where they're at? Oh, that's absolutely the case. Um, you know, in other law enforcement circles, you know, they see that, you know, regularly and all the time. For financial scams, you know, we know people are, you know, utilising VPN, um, again, to avoid detection, just like people want to keep their privacy from, you know, other third parties um, for other reasons. I mean, scammers want to use utilise VPNs in a way to remain undetected. So, you know, the, again, those things come with, a, with, with some good sides and some bad sides about that. I mean, the other thing we see then is obviously, you know, then the utilisation of cryptocurrencies. Um, or in fact, we see two things. We see people being um, convinced that they are investing in a crypto, a new cryptocurrency or a cryptocurrency, you know, trading platform, when in fact they're not. Or what we see is in fact trades or transfers of money being done by, you know, other cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin um, in a way to avoid detection as well, because again, you don't know, um, you know, necessarily on the basis of how uh, you know cryptocurrencies work, who actually might be the owner, because all of that is hidden from view. So you know, detection then at that point becomes difficult as well. So cryptocurrency is a really interesting thing. It's both the subject of a vehicle that makes um, people think they're yeah you know, they're investing in something that's real, when often it's a scam. And in fact, the legitimate cryptocurrency activity that's out there might actually be the conveyance by which the transfer of funds is happening that makes it very difficult to detect as well. And in some cases, if people are encouraged to buy cryptocurrencies, they they provide real cash and they get something they know the value, they don't know the value of, right? No, and and, and no guarantee. I mean, but some people will think that, you know, it's, a, it's like a speculative investment. Um, that if they get it now, it'll rise in value because more people will want it. Well, you know, I've got to say it's probably beyond you know my level of intelligence to work out whether or not that's going to be true or not. But all I can say is when I look backwards and you know take the adage that past performance might be an indicator in this case of future performances, there's plenty of cases where that's been wrong. You know, plenty of cases where that's been wrong. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of view, and you know, we put some reports out about this that um, if you go into cryptocurrencies in the first place. Um, you, you've got to expect that you may lose all of your money, and that's for two reasons. Because of one, as I said before, the thing's not legitimate in the first place, and it's just a scam. And there's nothing actually there, so you're handing over for money you think for something you think you're getting, and you're not getting actually anything. Or well, the second thing is, if it is a real cryptocurrency, if you like, if it is a, legi a legitimate form of cryptocurrency, there's a big chance you're going to lose all your money anyway, because there's no guarantees in these things. So we just say to people, if if you're a risk averse investor or you're not prepared to lose all your money, anybody who comes near you about cryptocurrency, you should be staying away. Over the past six months, what are the what are the worst ones what are the worst scams that you've actually seen, Rob? Oh, that's a good question. It it, it it depends on your definition of worse. If you see the thing that's happening that's um, capturing, if you like, the most noise and the most people coming to us and saying, here's a problem. A big one is probably, in fact, doesn't even involve Australians. What we're seeing is offshore operators or offshore scammers effectively dressing themselves up as Australian licensed um, 
uh, or Australian license holders, Australian financial service license holders, but you know they're not that. And then offering, um, you know, foreign exchange trading or over-the-counter derivative type trading or other complex products um, into Asian markets, where in fact in those Asian markets there there's no license for that. They, they, they effectively don't allow in a lot of those jurisdictions people to trade in some of these more complex products that, you know, aren't for the faint-hearted. Um, whereas in Australia, we do license for some of those things. But what we're seeing is, in fact, then, you know, this time last year, um, a whole lot of people from Korea, Malaysia, a couple of other countries came to us and said, well, we've been dealing with this Australian entity called, and I won't name it, you know, because we're still looking at it, XX, and, you know, we've lost all our money and what do you, you, you need to help us. And when we wrote to the entity and said, well, hang on, what's all this about? They said, well, that's not us. That website, if you have a look at it, is not our website. It's somebody else's website. And we don't know who they are. So, you know, we've had a couple of instances of that um, that had, quite frankly, hundreds to thousands of people coming to us about that. Um, in terms of domestically, you know, we see a lot of cryptocurrency stuff um, at the moment coming at us where people saying, oh, I got involved in this cryptocurrency platform and it's just a straightforward. Yeah, we're seeing lots and lots and lots of that. Um, and probably the third category is still um, the traditional um, cold calling stuff. So people coming to us and saying, you know, oh, yeah, you'd be sitting at home and you either get an email or you get a phone call saying, oh, look, we're aware that you might be interested in investing. And this is in response to the fact that you filled in a survey somewhere or I gave a scenario earlier in our chat, Tom, about you, know, you, you filled in a questionnaire saying, yeah, I'm interested if you know, this thing commercialises later. And so you get a phone call and it'll say, look, you know, we're in Boston and you know, we're involved in the Boston Stock Exchange. For those of you listening at home, there's no such thing as the Boston Stock Exchange. Um, and you know, we've got this stock and you, know, you need to um, think about getting involved in this. And we normally have minimum investment of you know 10,000 US, but at the moment we're offering minimum investment of 2,000 US. And then, you know, you, you, you send your money overseas to a nominated account and then they send you a statement saying your money's doubled and now would you like to put more in and then we've got another stock that's going to move and so on and so forth. And that traditional stuff, you know, in our end, you know, works really well. The, you know, if you look at the ACCC, though, and some of the scams they look at, you know, the big one is still um, people pretending to be from the tax office that you're under some form of tax audit, you know, and you need to rush to pay them some money and go down to the bank and transfer them some cash so that the AFP don't knock on your door or um, go and get them some iTunes cards. And so for those, of, for those you know, listening to this, you know, you see signs up in your JB Hi-Fi, you know, or other retailers, you know, basically saying if you've been asked by somebody to buy iTunes gift cards um, to help pay a tax debt, you've been scammed. Um, so, you know, that one is still a massively prevalent scam and I'd say it's going to continue for a while. And the reason why it's prevalent and going to go for a while is it's, it's winning. And, again, these people are all offshore and it's very hard to identify them. How often are you getting uh, – there's one that occasionally crops up, Warren, um, that I'm aware of, which is, you know, cold calling and people asking you whether you want to uh, – or whether you – yeah, looking at refinancing a mortgage. Now, it's happened to me on a few occasions. I don't have a mortgage. Uh, <laughs> right, yeah. And 
if they're confronted with the notion that it's a cold call and the cold call is illegal, they automatically start backing away. Do you get much of that stuff? We do, and the one that come, the, the one that sort of partners up with it is where you get a phone call saying, oh, we can help you get the most out of a government initiative. And the government initiative they're talking about is um, effectively the, the ability to negative gear a property. And so then they start basically, what, what they're trying to do is trying to sell you a, 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 an investment in a property that, quite frankly, is either not there or, you know, um, a long way off from being there. And they're trying to get you to sign up to a mortgage, you know, for those types of, you know, investments. And uh, I, I can't believe it. I still get, you know, two or three of those calls nearly a month. Um, but, you know, it's, it's the same thing again and again. And, and the problem is real estate is not really that heavily regulated. An investment in real estate is not that very heavily regulated. So it's not a type of scam that really we can do much. But when they start talking about mortgages, if they haven't got a licence um, from us, so we, we, we licence um, consumer credit providers, um, so, you know, if someone's offering you a mortgage, they've got to have a license from ASIC or if someone's advising you about a mortgage um, or a loan, you know, um, a personal mortgage or a personal loan. Uh, in Australia, they've got to have a license from ASIC. They've got to have an Australian credit license number. You can look that up online on our website. Um, but, you know, if people are doing those things and, and operating those things, you know, that's a problem and, you know, we'd love to hear about it. Yeah. How easy does it is it to trace? So that these guys seem to ring out of nowhere, um, and they're um, they seem to be uh, they seem to have a, a very fixed script. Yeah. Try and not look as if they're cold calling or breaking the law. Yeah, and in fact, and in fact, those scripts are actually used so that they actually skate very thin, you know, to the law and try to avoid any. Um, you know, contact or, you know, visit from us um, about that. And so the problem is then, you know, we, and we've looked into a couple of these um, and, you know, they basically say, well, there's the land, there's the opportunity, here's the loans. We're not the ones providing the loans. The ones providing the loans are this party and, you know, we're an authorised representative, you know, or a credit representative of these people. And so, you know, they, they, they've done a lot of work to try and, you know, stay close, stay close to the law in that respect. So... It becomes a bit difficult. Um, one of the other issues I wouldn't mind touching on, Warren, is there, there's been a bit of action on your side of the fence and an immediate release as well um, on people needing to be careful how uh, certain products are described when they're sold online by um, by companies that, that look that look to the you know, ill-informed, I should say, or the less sophisticated customer, as if they're a bank. Um, mm. It was a media release you issued a little while back on people needing to be careful about you know, what is being offered uh, around the place. Yeah. How... There was one case that you... ASIC is taking action. Is there anything... Is that a wide a broad concern or are we just dealing with a with a couple of a uh, couple of entities here look again you know going back to what i said at the outset because of the nature of the environment at the moment is that um people you know there's a there's a huge number of people in the country who are under significant financial pressure um from covid 
And so sometimes any offer, um, be that to invest money or to borrow money, um, you know, at even small rates of return or small rates of interest. So, you know, people might only be offering, you know, an interest rate to pay on a loan of say three, three and a half to four percent, or vice versa, might only be offering to pay interest at three and a half to four percent, and that's not a lot. You know, in people's minds, that's not a lot. But if you look at actually the prevailing rate, you know, banks bank accounts are only offering, I think, at the most about one one percent or so. Um, you know, and if you look at loans at the moment, I mean, the the standard sort of variable rate is sub three percent at the moment for a mortgage. Um, so people finding themselves under pressure um, may not think that those numbers are actually that far out of kilter. Like they're not twenty percent or you know thirty percent or ten percent for the mortgage. Um, maybe some people may not be able to get a loan anywhere else. Um, or people might say, well, actually, I, I'm not going to be able to survive on 1% interest, so I've got to find somewhere else. So we're seeing some examples of that. We're not seeing as much as we thought we might see. Um, so, you know, we're, we're, we're looking out for those. In fact, we've created internally in a, uh, an internal working party, an internal task force, looking at um, misleading, uh, misleading advertising, um, pardon me, and unlicensed activity. In that space. Similarly, we've created a third group that actually is just looking at scams within ASIC, you know, so that we can see those things that are more likely to occur at the moment under the pandemic. So we're, we're focusing on those, but we're not seeing that much. Another thing, though, we are seeing in a not dissimilar way, um, Tom, is um, fake endorsements of investment opportunities by prominent people. Um, so, you know, that, that, that are actually just untrue. So, you know, we're seeing, you know, Twiggy Forrest, Dick Smith, um, a number of sports persons. We're seeing fake articles being put together out of, you know, that look like they're from the ABC. Uh, they're turning up on social media platforms and they're trying to get people to invest into, um, you know, fake foreign exchange trading websites. Um, you know, and, you know, we put out a media release um, last month about a fake website and social media page called Market Makers Insider or MMI Forex. So Market Makers Insider or MMI Forex. And, you know, these pages were um, using um, a lot of, um, you know, fake endorsements from people who had no idea about it. But, in fact, they even um, uh, displayed ASIC's chair, James Shipton, uh, his name and photo, to give the impression he was the CEO of the fake entity. So, you know, it's 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 weird what some of these people will do. Um, but, you know, the, you know, at the moment, low returns or low rates of interest charged or paid um, are actually still seen to be, you know, not that illegitimate. So people have really got to watch, you know, and, and, and just, you know, have a second guess on some of these things. Warren, we've covered a lot of territory over the past uh, 36, 37 minutes. Um, one, of the, one of the concerns I periodically have is people may not always be clear on where they need to go in order to uh, lodge a complaint about behaviour that appears to be either scamming behaviour or just um, poor advisory behaviour. Where do you think people should head? Look, if it if it sounds like an investment, like a loan, 
um, those types of things, we'd love to hear about it at ASIC. Uh, and if you go to asic.gov.au, you'll you'll find a link for how to complain and you'll be able to work your way to the form there. If it's something else, if it's something broader like um, goods and services or, um, you know, a romance scam or those types of things, the best place to go, in fact, probably the best place to go for a lot of things about scams is ScamWatch. Um, ScamWatch, I think it's scamwatch.gov.au, um, and that's run by the ACCC, and they're a clearinghouse for a lot of scam stuff, and they, they send a lot of stuff to us as well. But again, if you're seeing stuff that looks like it's an investment, if you're seeing stuff that's about um, trying to get you to trade in something and you just don't think it's legit, send it to us and we'd love to have a look. Um, as I said, we've got a dedicated internal um, working party at the moment that's working through that. And, um, you know, what we will be able to do, and it's probably the thing I should follow up on and, you know, with, with some comment about, given what I was saying before about how it's difficult to, to identify these things, is it's going to be cold comfort to a lot of people. But once we know about a scam operating that, you know, is about fake investments or fake loans or those types of things, certainly whether uh, if they're onshore, we can decide whether or not, you know, we'll send out our, out our enforcement team to have a look at it. But if it's offshore, what we'll be able to do is contact the, the relevant foreign regulator to say, have a look at these people to see if they're, you know, if they're operating there and can you do something about it. What we'll also will do is probably name and shame them on our companies you should not deal with list. Um, and what we know is, amazingly, scammers watch that website. And when they know that we put their details on there and their contact details on there and their bank account numbers on there, they shut up shop and move on. So the cold comfort is it's probably not going to help you get your money back, but it's going to stop other people becoming victims to these things. So you know, we do want people to report them. We do want to know about them. And so we can do what we can to deter and disrupt them because we think that's actually the most effective strategy of the lot. Um, and uh, your consumer website, obviously, is also a place people can go and look look at things, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, people should go to moneysmart.gov.au. Um, MoneySmart's, you know, ASIC's um, free, you know, financial guidance um, website and service. So it's a great resource for people to, to work out what they can um, do to better manage their finances. If they find, if someone finds themselves in some form of financial trouble, it's a good place to get some pointers about who you might go and speak to, where your local financial counselling service is, and what services are available to you when you find yourself in financial trouble. It also has got a lot of information about, you know, what a, what the na nature of different financial um, scams are, so that you can better assess whether you are being scammed. Um, but just on that on that topic, you know, if you think you're being scammed, then you probably are. You know, if, you, if, you, if you're second-guessing it, you probably are being scammed. So you, you ought to stop giving people money and start to, you know, ask questions about what's happened so far, about the, the legitimacy of something. But, look, Money Smart's a great service. Um, a lot of calculators on there as well for some basic stuff like, you know, um, how much can you borrow, what is it going to take to pay back your loan, um, what are general rates of return, all that, you know, have, have you got enough super for retirement, all those types of things. and. You know, it's independent, you know, free guidance from the government to help you, you know, better understand and work through your finances, and we recommend it to everybody. Okay, that uh, that website is moneysmart.gov.au. Warren, it's been an absolute pleasure to touch base with you and to come to that territory. So thanks for joining me. As always, thanks, Tom. Great. No worries.